This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, if you would, tonight. Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be at. We're stepping out of our series uh, for a week. We've been going through uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse by verse, for the last year, um, and we hit the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. We're taking a break from that tonight as we take a look at gratitude. Week of Thanksgiving this week, we should talk about gratitude. Luke chapter 17 is where we'll be at tonight. If you grew up in Sunday school, this should be a very, very familiar story to you. Jesus heals the 10 lepers. Uh, That's where we find ourselves, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse uh, number 11. The title of tonight's message, The Enemies of Gratitude. Luke chapter 17, verse number 11, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Uh, Pause for just a second and and see that Samaria and Galilee was an area that you could say was the rougher side of town. Uh, Jesus, who would have been a Jew, they didn't get along with the Samaritans at all. So the fact that he would go near Samaria uh, meant that Jesus loves everybody and he's always on the lookout for people. Uh, And so he went through uh, the area in the middle of Samaria and Galilee, verse number 12, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face and his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? And there are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Amazing story that we find here of these ten lepers. Now, in biblical times, leprosy had no cure. Basically, you had it until you died. If you're not familiar with leprosy, it's a skin condition that continues to spread. Uh, and up until probably the, uh, I would say the early uh, or mid-1900s, there really wasn't a known cure for it. Uh, if you ever get the opportunity to go to Molokai and see the Kalaupapa village where the uh, leper colony was there, fascinating history that we have in our very own state. Uh, fascinating stuff there. But leprosy in biblical times was an incurable disease. And uh, the only way to uh, quarantine it, I guess you could say, is keep these people away from everyone else. Uh, They were required, if you had leprosy, to stay at least 100 paces away from anyone else. And so they found themselves crying to Jesus, the Bible says, afar off. Now, this is a really, really important story from a couple of different perspectives. Not only did Jesus heal these men of a physical ailment, But leprosy in the Bible is also a picture of a much bigger issue as well. Leprosy is actually a picture of sin that we find in the Bible. Incurable condition that every single person has, that that is, we are, once we get it by being born, it continues to grow and grow and grow, and there is no cure for the sin nature that we have in our own self, in our own flesh. The Bible says that we're all born into sin. Uh, All of us, uh, from the moment that we take our first breath into this world, the Bible says that we have our sin nature. 
and it doesn't get better as we get older. If anything, it gets worse as we get older and we continue to sin and continue to sin. Because of this, we are at odds with God. If God has a family, you and I are required to stay at least 100 paces outside of God's family and declare ourselves as unclean because we can't go into the village where everyone else is. We can't go into the family of God where everyone else is because we have a sickness that will spread, which is sin. The only hope that we have for our sin problem is the only hope these lepers had as well, that they could be supernaturally healed you and I have no uh, thing that you and I can do for our sin condition. We can't just try to do better. We can't just try to try harder. Uh, we must eradicate our sin altogether. Otherwise, when we go to heaven, God will say, I cannot let you into heaven because you are unclean. God does not allow sin into heaven. Therefore, we must be completely and totally washed clean of our sin condition before we can go to heaven, before we can come into the family of God. The only way to do that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfectly sinless life, died on the cross to pay for my sin and pay for yours so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have our sin condition cleaned. It just requires that you recognize that you are a sinner, recognize that you've sinned against God, confess your sin to God, and repent of your sin. And if you believe that Jesus Christ can save you, he will save you today completely and totally once and for all. And from that point forward, you get to be clean. Just like Jesus said to these lepers, hey, go and you'll be clean. Jesus Christ says to you today, if you are my child, you are now clean. The great part about these men as they were cleansed of leprosy, there wasn't a little leprosy left in their life. There wasn't a little bit of uncleanness that they have. They didn't just leave a little bit better version of themselves. They left completely and totally clean. And you and I, when we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are completely and totally clean of our sin before God. And so I say, well, wait a minute, I continue to sin. What does that mean? It means that you have been cleansed from the penalty of your sin and you need to continually stay cleansed of the sin that you have in your life. I, I can never become comfortable with my own sin. I must constantly repent of it, uh, forsake it, turn from it, leave it behind, and I need to stay cleansed. Now, in this case here, we have a story of gratitude or a lack of gratitude 10 men were cleansed and Jesus says, wait a minute, I thought I cleansed 10, but nine have left and never came back and only one came back and gave the thanks. And sometimes we teach children uh, this story in Sunday school and we teach them to always be thankful. Someone gives you something, say thanks. But we as adults many times forget the idea that we should also live lives of gratitude. And tonight we're taking a look at some of the enemies of gratitude that we find in this particular passage here as well. If you're taking notes, and I recommend that you do write down these thoughts this morning. First of all, expectation kills gratitude. Expectation kills gratitude. If you take a look at verse number 13 here tonight, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That wasn't a question, it was a command. Do you notice that? Hey, Jesus, have mercy on us. We've seen you do it for other people. You, you need to do it for us too. It wasn't a master we desire to be clean. Master, would you heal us? Master, would you have mercy on us? It was a command that they gave. Master, have mercy on us. They had an expectation. And oftentimes when you and I have expectations of what life should give us or what uh, a particular a coworker should give us or what a spouse could give, should give us or how our children should behave, we have an expectation and that expectation doesn't get met. Guess what? We immediately become ungrateful. An expectation will kill your gratitude quicker than anything else 
been said before, and it's definitely a true statement. The foundation of gratitude is the expectation of nothing. If I don't expect anything and I get something, I'm thankful for it. For example, let's say, for example, my birthday is next week. It's not, but you can get me a gift. I'm okay with that. My birthday's next week, and I have this expectation that everybody's gonna throw me a big party. Everybody's gonna buy me lots of gifts. I'm gonna be able to see all my friends. We're gonna hang out because my wife is so thoughtful. She's gonna have a big, huge party for me. My birthday comes, and my kids get me a card that they draw themselves, and that's kind of the end of it. Maybe we'll go out to uh, dinner together, but that's the end, no big party. You know, all I have is a handwritten card. I'm disappointed. But if I have no expectation, and I get to spend time with the people that I love the most, and my children with their own hands make a card for me, then my heart is full of gratitude because my expectation was low. And so I want to challenge you to never have an expectation of what God should do for you or what you think he's going to do for you or feel like you should get something because somebody else gets it. Keep your expectation low and keep your gratitude high. Next we see in this passage that busyness kills gratitude. Verse number 13, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go and show yourselves unto the priests. They came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. (laughs) They were gone. They got their cleansing. They were already on their way. Why bother turning around and going back and saying, thank you. I've got stuff to do. I've got places to be. I gotta go see the priest and then I gotta get on with my life because I've got what I want. And oftentimes life gets so fast that we fail to stop and just be thankful. It's kind of sad that we have to put a, a, a special holiday on the calendar to remind us to be thankful. It's kind of sad that we as parents, I'm gonna put myself in this category as well, forget to ask our kids on a regular basis what they're thankful for and we just do it the week of Thanksgiving. It's a terrible thing to do, but we as parents do it. Why? Because we're busy. Hey, when I gotta pick somebody up from volleyball practice and then drop them off and go pick somebody up from basketball practice and get people fed and change diapers and help my wife with this and make sure that the car gets picked up from there and stuff like that, ain't nobody got time to ask kids what they're thankful for. You should be thankful you're still alive today. How about that? I'll I'll answer it for you, right? And busyness kills our gratitude spirit. But we have to slow down. And if we're too busy to be grateful, let me just say this, we're just too busy. Maybe there's some things that need to go in our life so that we can, can cultivate a spirit of gratitude. But these guys were so busy. Now, mind you, they were lepers. They couldn't hold a job. Uh, they didn't have a family. They were outcasts from society. But for, for whatever reason, they couldn't find the time out of their busy schedule to go back and just say, thank you. Next thing we see in this passage is entitlement kills gratitude. We live in a society today where people think that they deserve things. Unless we point the finger at other people, you and I are guilty of this as well. We feel like we're entitled uh, to certain things. And it always kills the spirit of gratitude when I feel like I deserve something. The worst part is when I feel like God owes me something. You ever been there before? (laughs) Hey God, I've been reading my Bible every day this week and I went to church. Like, really? You're not gonna give me this? As if God is impressed by our faithfulness. Wow, Anthony, you went four whole days in a row with reading your Bible. Congratulations. I'm shocked by that. Let me bless you. But for whatever reason, we sometimes feel entitled to God's blessings as opposed to that time that we came to Jesus Christ and recognized, God, I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer you. You have everything to offer me. In a spirit of humility and worship, we get puffed up with a spirit of pride and entitlement, and that always kills our gratitude as well. 
It's interesting in this passage here, we see also that unthankfulness robs God's glory. Verse number 17, and Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? They're not found that returned to give, they're not found that returned to give God glory, save or except for this stranger here. Jesus says, the nine that returned, they didn't just not give thanks. They weren't just ungrateful. They actually stole God's glory. It's a heavy charge, isn't it? But how often have you and I, when somebody says, oh, what a beautiful family you have there, you say, oh, thanks, yeah, yeah, good kids, I raised them, yeah. Man, you, you work there, what a great job you have. Yeah, I know, yeah, pretty impressive, huh? This is our house, can you see it? Pretty impressive, huh? And guess what? That robs the glory from God. Hey, every time somebody says, you have a beautiful family, I know God has been so good to me, I wanna give God glory for that, I wanna thank him for that. Hey, you got a lot of great friends. I know God has been so good to me and blessed me with some solid, solid friends in my life. Man, what a great church you guys have. Man, praise God, he did it. We just get to show up and God does all the work from it. I wanna give God glory from that. You know why? Because I have done nothing to deserve any good thing in my life. James says, every good and every perfect gift cometh from above. Anything I have that amounts to a hill of beans is at the grateful, gracious hand of God. I don't want to be thankful for it. But an unthankful spirit robs God's glory. It cuts short us being able to say, God did this. God was faithful. God provided. And Jesus here says, you weren't just unthankful, you robbed from the glory of God. Friend, it's the job of me, it's the job of you to give God glory through our life, to take every single opportunity, every single day to point people to, to God, talk about how good he is, how faithful he is, how gracious he's been. And when we fail to do that, we rob God's glory. Again, teaching our kids to be thankful isn't just good manners or good etiquette, it's good theology. It's not just about teaching my kids to be well-behaved, say please and thank you. It's a matter of pointing people to a God that is greater than all of us. And so we need to be careful that our life gives God glory in every single capacity. Next, unthankfulness kills a spirit of worship. <laughs> Unfortunately, we live in a society today that misunderstands the concept of worship, even amongst Christian circles. Many times people think that worship is singing. If you've been to churches before, they say, oh, praise God for our worship team. Now we're gonna get into the, to the message today. Oh man, the worship was awesome today and the message from the word was good too. No, no, no. Worship is not a song portion of a service. Worship is not even necessarily music. Worship is a heart condition where I recognize the greatness of God and the smallness of myself. The word worship literally means to lay face down in front of completely and totally laid out. It's a recognition that God is so great and I, I don't even have the ability to look in the direction of God because of his greatness. But worship isn't necessarily a body position as much as it is a heart position. And when I worship God in song, I'm speaking of the greatness of a God and how small I am in comparison to that. When I talk about the greatness of God, I talk about it in worship to God. 
At the end of our service, we'll receive an offering. And when we give of our finances, we say, God is great and I want to give to him because of the greatness of who he is and how small I am. It's an act of worship. You, by being here on a Sunday night, hearing from God's word is an act of worship because you said, God is important so much that I want to carve out a portion of my Sunday evening to hear from his word because I count him worthy. That's where we get our word worship from. So unthankfulness, though, kills the spirit of worship. Take a look at verse number 16. You see what happened here? The one man that returned, he fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. You know what the word we would use for that? Fell down at his feet and gave thanks. You know what word we would use there? Worship. He fell down at the feet of Christ and worshiped him. If you're a child of God here today, if there's been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, if you're saved, if you're born again, when you die, you're gonna get to go to heaven. That's some good news. But friend, you and I one day will worship at the feet of Jesus. That's gonna be an awesome day. But can you imagine the joy that was in this Samaritan's heart? He was an outcast of society. The, the, the Jewish culture was heavily racist against Samaritans. And he went to the feet of this Jew who every other Jew would have hated the Samaritan's guts, hated his guts. And this Samaritan falls down at his feet and worships. Can you imagine the joy that filled that man's heart? He's been cured of an incurable condition. He's been given a new life. He's been given a second opportunity to do something with his life. And he fell down in worship at the feet of God in the flesh. Oh, how incredible that would have been. But you know what? There were nine guys that missed out on that opportunity. Nine guys that should have been there worshiping that didn't, why? ungratefulness, unthankfulness. It kills the spirit of worship. And when you and I feel entitled, uh, when you and I feel like we're owed something, when you and I just get too busy to even give God praise, we kill the spirit of worship that should be in our hearts. I, I, hope, you never, I hope you never get to this point, but I say I've been there before where you sit and you hear people singing during the song portion and you're like this, how long is this gonna go on? Oh, we're gonna sing one more song. Oh my goodness. I hope you never get to that point. I hope your heart is always full of gratitude as you sing and you sing from a heart of worship. Hey, I don't care what your voice sounds like. I don't care if you can't carry a tune in a five gallon bucket. That's okay. Let it rip. You're amongst family here and your heart should overflow with gratitude, overflow with worship. Man, uh, it is well ministers to my soul every single time I hear it. Oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Man, that helps me every single time. You know why? Because I remember a sinner who was hopeless before Jesus. I remember the times in my life where I had nothing whatsoever but Jesus. And that though Satan may buffet, though trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. That overflows from a heart of gratitude. And God help the Christian who stands around like this 
and hears words like that, that it just doesn't get you fired up inside. Because you need to make sure that your heart's in good shape because that should touch the depths of your soul. When we sing of the greatness of our God, you should say, yes, my God is great. I'm talking about worship. And if you don't have a spirit of worship, it probably can be traced back to a lack of gratitude. And worship isn't something we just do on on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. (laughs) You know, there's been times before where I've had it as well on repeat on my car. I've listened to it a hundred times in a row because I just can't get over how good God is. Worship isn't something that just takes place when we gather together. In church, worship is something that takes place every single day of your life. And if you're not worshiping the way that you should, you need to trace it back to where is your gratitude because we worship God because he's worthy. Max humility and gratitude are the proper responses when we see ourselves for who we truly are. Verse number 12, as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers which stood afar off. Verse number 13, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, help us because outside of you, we can't help ourselves. I see myself for who I truly am. I see myself as a sin-covered, helpless leper who just says, Master, have mercy on me. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I am hopeless. Without you, I am helpless. And the only response to the recognition of who I am in light of who Christ is is humility and gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you for saving a sinner like me. Thank you for the fact that Calvary covers it all, my sin with its past and shame, my guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there, and Calvary covers it all. Oh, man, that gets me fired up inside because I recognize how rotten of a human being I am and the fact that Jesus would love me anyways and choose to take my sin on my cross and die in my place because of his love for me. I just, I recognize who I am, but I have to admit that's not always the case. There's days where I feel like God got a pretty good deal when he got me. I feel like I'm doing all right. I don't do any big sins. I'm not a really bad person. That, you know, of course, God died for that person. They needed it, but I mean, me, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a pretty bad shape, but I'm not a lost cause. And you know what happens? Then it kills my spirit of gratitude because, again, I feel entitled. I feel like I'm more than I am, and I don't see myself for who I truly am. Final thought here tonight as we look, not only is our humility towards God for all that he's done, but we look maybe for the humility and thankfulness that other people should show towards us. Our desire for serving other people is not the expectation of gratitude, but the glory of God. You see, Jesus wasn't really hung up because people didn't thank him for what he had done. Jesus was hung up because they had robbed God's glory. And friend, if you serve other people because you're wanting them to say thank you, you'll be disappointed in life. If you serve other people because you think they're gonna think highly of you, you'll be disappointed in life. 
If you serve other people because you think they're gonna serve you back, you'll be greatly disappointed in life. If you serve other people because you think they'll be loyal to you, oh, you're gonna be super disappointed in life. But what if you serve other people because you just want God to look good? What if you serve other people because that's what Jesus would have done? What if you serve other people because it speaks to not how great of a person you are, but how great our God is? What if you did that? Oh, then God will handle the rest of it. Had the opportunity to help people before who, how to say it nicely, did me wrong. I've helped people before who have told lies about me, been ungrateful towards me, stabbed me in the back, said hurtful things about me, hurtful things about my family. And you know what our response to that has to be? It's fine. You know why? I didn't do it for them anyways. I did it for the Lord. You don't say thank you, it doesn't bother me. I didn't do it for you, I did it for the Lord. Every time you and I have the opportunity to help someone, if we're helping them because it's a feather in our cap, if we're helping someone because it would make us look good, Go for it. You get your reward. Again, you feel the need to take an Instagram snap of every good deed that you do throughout the day? Congratulations. You know what Jesus says to that? You got your reward. Congratulations. But what if I do the right thing because it makes God look good? What if I serve other people not for what I can get out of it before I can put into it to make God look good? And if you don't appreciate it, I don't care. I didn't do it for you anyways. And if you say hurtful things about me, I don't care because I didn't do it for you anyways and people said hurtful things about my Savior too. And I'm in good company. And what if you stab me in the back after I try to help you? That's fine. I wasn't trying to help you. I was trying to make God look good. I'm gonna handle myself in this situation to continue to make God look good. And you know what? People stabbed my Savior in the back too and he just continued to love and serve others. That attitude changes everything. So if you're serving other people with an expectation that you're gonna get something back, you'll be disappointed because Jesus, God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, get this, had a 10% return rate on gratitude. Think about that. You think you got a, you think you got a better average than that? 10%, creator of the universe. I have an idea that you and I, our return gratitude rate is gonna be considerably lower than what Jesus could do. So you know what? That's fine. We'll continue to serve. And you're not hurting me. I'm just gonna give God glory. I don't need anything from you. I just want God to be glorified. I wanna live my life in such a way that people don't say, what a great guy Anthony King is. I want people to, I wanna live my life in such a way that people say, what a great God Anthony King serves. I want, I know this is a crazy thought, but I want you to think of this and I want you to live your life the same way. I have this written down in my life plan. I say this, when I die, I want people to say, I don't know what Jesus was like, but I imagine he was a lot like Anthony. You look at that and you go, that's laughable. I know, but that's what I'm shooting for. You know why? Because the Bible says I need to be conformed into the image of Christ. I need to be like Jesus. And I want people to look at my life and go, I don't know what Jesus was like, but I would hope to think he was a lot like Anthony was. And that's a a high bar to live up to, but I'm shooting for it every single day and I'm trying to get better every day. You know what that process is called? Sanctification. 
It's a good Bible word. It means being set apart for the cause of Christ. It means being more like Jesus each and every day. Do I hit it every day? Not even close. But I'm closer to it today than I was five months ago. I'm closer to it today than I was five years ago. And I'm light years closer to it than I was 10 years ago. So you know what I need to keep doing? Just keep going further tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, to be more like Christ. And if I see 10 guys saying, hey, could you give me a hand? I want to help. That's what Jesus did. If they say thank you, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine too. I just want my heavenly father to be glorified. And I want for everything I've been given to have a spirit of gratitude, not one week out of the year, 52 weeks out of the year. I don't ever feel like I'm entitled to something. I deserve something. I don't want to expect something from God. I just want to live gratefully. I don't want to get so caught up and dropping my kids off and picking my kids up and doing homework and making sure assignments get turned in and making sure that, that, that quizzes are studied for that I forget to be grateful, first of all, myself, but secondly, to instill in the people God's given me influence in a spirit of gratitude. So this Thursday, I hope you get some turkey and stuffing if that's your thing. I really do. I hope you eat yourself into a food coma without crossing the line over into gluttony, which would be a sin but I hope you'll be grateful. I hope you'll be thankful, not just this Thursday, but tomorrow and the next Thursday and three Thursdays from now. Spirit of gratitude. <coughs> Jesus said this, told a story of two guys that owed their master something. For the sake of the illustration, we use money from today. One guy owed the master $10, another owed him $10,000. And the master said to both of these guys, hey guys, I'm canceling your debt. Jesus says, which one of those guys do you think loved the master the most? Everybody goes, well, the guy that had been forgiven most, obviously. The guy who owed $10,000 as opposed to the guy who owed ten. He said, right. The person who's been forgiven much should love the master that much more. When I look at my life and I look at what I've been forgiven from, I look what I deserved and what I got. Oh, man. I'm so grateful and it makes me love my master so much more. Most important thing in the world is if you're here tonight and you do not know for sure when you die that heaven's your home, do not leave here tonight without knowing for sure that, that you're a child of God. Otherwise, you're a leper, you're unclean, and when you die, you're gonna go to heaven and God says, uh-uh, not here. You're not allowed into heaven with your sin. So you know beyond a shadow of a doubt before you leave tonight that you are saved, that you are a child of God, that you've been forgiven of your sin and that you can be cleansed. And then I'm telling you this, you got 10 million reasons in the world to be grateful at that point because you're washed by the blood of Jesus, your sin is forgiven, you have a new home in heaven, you have a new family at your disposal. So if you're here tonight and you're not sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. But for those of us that have been adopted into God's family, man, let's be grateful this week and every other week of the year. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.